The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Leadership today is more than just a position in an organization. It's also a mix of proven practices that produce results. Welcome to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Our program will bring you the how and why of successfully led businesses or organizations with not-for-profit goals and how you can apply the Adesis Methodology and make it work for you. Now, here is Dr. Ishak Adesis. Hello, hello, hello to all the audience around the world that is listening to this broadcast every Saturday at 10 o'clock California time, uh, Pacific time. Today we have uh, a very interesting um, uh, former client of Adiz Methodology, Yehoram Uziel, who is in Los Angeles, and I myself is uh, interviewing from Israel this time. I'm sitting in Israel and uh, doing this uh, interview. And the recording is done in Arizona. As you can see, we are becoming a really multinational. Yehoram, welcome to our program. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to help. Yehoram, would you please tell us about your company? What is your company in the business of? Okay, we have uh, evolved into a boutique manufacturing of uh, complex metal parts predominantly made of uh, aluminum castings, and where our niche is uh, in uh, making development engines for both the leading uh, automotive and to the aerospace industries. Uh, We make the engines that are being uh, developed and tested for the next generation, and we make them as prototypes and uh, in short production runs uh, and, uh, and follow our customers all the development cycle till they launch it into mass manufacturing. Uh-huh. Uh, when you hired Adizas, which was, I didn't think, about 10 years ago, what was the reason? Why did you come to Adizas? What, 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 uh, what, what triggered you to come? Well, uh, I, you and I met... Almost 20 years ago, when I think about it, and uh, and I uh, got from you two things. One is an interesting conversation, and two, a book where you said you should read it. And after I read it, I realized that this is something that describes basically in very, very simple way and methodolog- uh, a methodology that describes the basic rules of the universe uh, and, and how many times do we think about what do we do when we manage other people and why we ignore what we ignore, where are the deficiencies, and what should we do uh, really to do things better. And the idea was that if we look at these uh, uh, 
methodology and and adopt the processes in it, uh, we can do a better job. And and that was basically the the cause of of following the methodology and coming to uh, you and and saying let's implement that as much as we can. What did you get out of it, Yoram? Because this was, a, I remember coming every month to Santa Barbara with your top management to work with us. What did you get out of it? I understand why you came, but what did you get out of it? What can you really point after 10 years when you look back? What do you think stands out as a main contribution? Well, let me, let me step back and say, give you an analogy. Uh, you know, I, I fly airplanes and I'm a, and I'm, and I'm an avid pilot. Uh, and I understand that when I fly my own airplane, it is my responsibility to uh, design everything. I need to get the weather. I need to uh, check the weight. I need to make sure that uh, the airplane is correct. I need to uh, 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 verify that I have enough fuel. I need to know that the destination has an airport, etc., etc. However, when you think about an airline that has many pilots that fly on a different schedule, uh, you realize that managing flights for an airline is different than managing a flight that you own do because the pilot cannot do everything that a private pilot will do. Uh, so the purpose of bringing the, the, the top management of the company to Santa Barbara was to basically train pilots to fly in an environment which is bigger than a private uh, flight that you do yourself. Uh, that they, what they need to do is maybe fly their own airplane, so to speak, but they need to do it with a system that provides them with a schedule that knows how many passengers that they have. They know where passengers are flying from and when do they go in, and how do they collaborate not only with the air traffic controller, but with the system of the luggage and the system of the, the, the ticket selling, etc., etc. It is different to make things happen as an individual than to make it with a company, especially when you realize that when you have a company with management, every person, as talented as they may be, cannot do everything by themselves. They need to do it as a part of the team. So if you want to form a team, you have to teach people the methodologies of how to do it. Airline pilots go to a simulator every six months. And the, the, what they learn in the simulator is to perform on their airplanes uh, uh, tasks and missions that they never do on commercial flights. Uh, nobody will try to teach pilots to do emergencies with passengers, right? So for the same reason, you need to make sure that the, the people that you have in your management are cognizant in all the systems and procedures that they need to uh, uh, deploy while communicating with each other and while making their own decisions, because if you are not able to make a decision as a part of a team, the implementation will not go. And what, what I got from your books initially uh, was exactly that. It, it, it basically talked about 
the different personalities of people that you have in a management, the life cycle of the company, and the life cycle of the managers in their positions. And what does it take? What is your, your methodology is a checklist exactly similar to the checklist that the airline pilot does before it takes off at, at, at any flight. Uh, you have to go and make sure that you have all the components, you take everything into consideration, and you don't forget or ignore anything because if you do, you're up for unpleasant surprises. Wow. Yoram, uh, 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 your company, I remember you made a presentation at the Jesus Convention, which we have every year, and it was a very interesting presentation you made, how your company went into trouble and how, by using the philosophy of Adidas, you succeed to get out of it and make the company survive. Can you start at least, and then when we have a break, we'll continue after the break. But start now. What was the disaster that happened? What was the difficulty? And, and how did Adidas philosophy help you? Okay. Well, uh, this company that we started, started uh, in my garage, and the whole idea was to create a new technology that can really revolutionize a 5,000-year-old industry that has not changed for 5,000 years and for a good reason. And uh, the, uh, the question was, uh, what will be the, the cause for this industry to change? What will make this change implemented? And uh, the assumption that you create technology uh, and that is enough, um, is very questionable. So uh, we started by focusing on the technology, and then we tried to figure out which is the best way to create this digital manufacturing revolution. And we realized that with the existing structure of the industry, we have two options. Option number one is to go to the customers and demand that their vendors will change their processes. Uh, option number two is to go to the vendors and say to them, listen, if you change your processes, you may be able to give your customers a better service. But uh, because manufacturing is, is an issue that is in debate for years, especially in the Western culture here, uh, it was not easy to pick up which one of them is right and which one of them is wrong. Uh, so what we have decided to do is instead of b building a Xerox, which is a company that develops a printing machine, if you want, or a copying machine, we want to develop a Kinko. Uh, well, if you Look at the Kinko, what does it mean? It means that you try to go and build alternative solutions to the current vendors, to the automotive industry, uh, as an example, and say to them, we can do printing better than you do, or copying better than you do. And that's a, that's a major task, because... Uh, uh, the, 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 the truth of the matter is that the changes in, in America, especially in America, has put the manufacturers of engines or engine components at a defense uh, that they resist any change. 
And when we, when we look at the, at the trends in the last 20 years, we see that most of the manufacturing that used to be in America is actually defeated, is gone. Uh, uh, there are very few people that realize that uh, America manufactures most of its products outside. We import too many things from China. Yeah, there are many things that you can't really find here. And the Chinese that are the, now the new vendors, their incentive is the opposite. They understand that their main goal is not to be effective, is not to be uh, 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 automatic. What they want to do is to make sure that they feed a billion and a half people. So they need jobs. So if you come up with a technology that eliminates Manual work, this is not something that you can easy sell unless you can create a compelling solution that, that, that works. And right now, it is not. So what we try to do is we try to develop this, um, this boutique uh, uh, approach and develop it as um, uh, an alternative to the existing vendor um, customer relationship of the large companies, and while at the beginning it looked like it is working, uh, we realized that in some of the tremors in the automotive industry, predominantly in 2001, it is not working. It is really, really not working. So uh, uh, what we had to do is we had to somehow deal with it. We found out that we have really an issue with the business concept with the with the main concept of what who we are what do we do who is the customer and what is the service that we provide yeah, you're and, uh, so Soligen that started in the early 90s uh, got to 2000 and 2001 uh, by growing a technology and hoping to uh, you know double every year and because in the first few years we were uh, um, we were growing too fast, a company that grows more than 20% a year perpetually lose, loses money. So we needed more and more money and more and more investment. And at some point of time, uh, we realized that this is not really going well. And we may not be able to reach our goal simply by sticking with the same uh, strategy that we have. And at that point of time, we had to decide, okay, what do we do? There are four components uh, in, in, in the Soligen story. It was us, the company. It was the investors and the shareholders who put their money in with hopes to make some return on investment. There were customers that we wanted to make sure that they are happy. And there are vendors that, uh, that uh, you know, we employ. And we wanted to make sure that any transition that we make does not uh, uh, hurt any of these four components and, and predominantly uh, uh, keep this change uh, without hurting anyone. I want to explain to the audience, Yoram, uh, with your permission, you know so much that starting to be a big uh, forest, we don't see the trees. What I understand the company is about. The oldest technology is die casting. And for people still using die casting to develop, let's say, a new engine, 
they do the die casting. If they want to make a change, then they have to do a new die cast, and then a new die cast, and a new die cast. And it takes a long time and very expensive until you finally develop the engine you want, especially if it's a complicated one. You have a technology license, I understand, from MIT, which through a computer die, uh, CAT cam, you could develop the whole engine die casting through silicon by doing it through the computer, and if you make changes, it can make it again fast enough. So instead of doing it for one or two years to come to finally with an engine that uh, will be acceptable, you can do it in a very short time. I forgot how much, it's six months. You can save a lot of time to the automotive industry, to the aerospace industry in creating new engines uh, uh, through this new technology of die casting. Did I describe your technology well, Yoram? Uh, 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 not really. Uh, not really. What you described is close to it. And let me try to, uh, to uh, uh, describe it slightly better along the terms that you have, and, uh, and maybe we can rewrite or overwrite the, the one that you said. The, the current manufacturing technology of engine is casting that is designed and based on tooling, whether it's die casting tools, sand casting tools, or other tools, uh, and that is the way that engines are made. And engines will be made the same way because this, this is the only economical way to make engines. However, when you develop new engines, if you need to create tooling for each prototype, uh, it not only costs a lot of money, but takes a lot of time and has a lot of deficiencies. And our technology enables to make, without the tooling, whether dies or any other tooling, castings that can be tested exactly the same way that the engines in mass manufacturing will be. So what we bring to the market is the ability to make the production tooling once and right on the first time. That's what our technology is. And how much time do you save? Years. We save years because if it takes on the average to make, a, a, for a cylinder head, to make a prototype soft tool, uh, for a cylinder head it takes approximately seven months, we make it in two and a half weeks. Stop right there. Stop right there. Guys, when I heard about this technology, I got extremely excited. How much is it worth to General Motors, Chrysler, Ford, instead of seven months to develop a new engine, to do it in two weeks? Oh, my God, I said, we have a winner here. This is the most profitable company I want to invest, I want to be consultant, I want to do with them. And what happened? They actually went bankrupt. How can it be? And now I think, Yoram, you should tell the people, but make it short because we are going to run out of time. Why, in spite of the head, a value-added technology, a value-added technology that you can generate a new, from, right from the beginning, a new engine in two and a half weeks rather than seven months, you still went bankrupt. What actually happened? Well, what happened was is that we got increasing amount of business from Ford, GM, and Chrysler, and we were growing the company with anticipation to uh, get even more, 
And at the year of 2001, they went through a change in their uh, uh, business, and they put everything on hold. And they told me, hey, it's, uh, we're freezing everything. We're not going to do anything. It's just for one month. And it took three months. And finally, I found myself uh, with a, a backlog that was supposed to be for the next 60 days disappearing. And with having a company that, that is spending more money than it has because it anticipates 100% growth in the next year. So I did not go bankrupt, but I had to make an immediate change because otherwise I would go bankrupt. So that was the one problem. You had some other problems as well with your accountant and with your bank. Can you tell us about that? Well, the other things that we had uh, uh, is something that happens to other companies that uh, we had an accountant that embezzled money uh, uh, from the company. We had uh, 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 a couple of uh, employees that uh, uh, agreed initially to stay in when we made the cuts and work for reduced salaries and went to the labor commissioner and tried to uh, uh, get some money that they agreed not to get again, and we had to deal with the local authorities here on things that we didn't do anything wrong, but, you know, that's life. Okay, so let me say what happened here, guys. Here is a company with an unbelievable technology that has values beyond belief, you know, beyond belief, and should be incredibly successful, and all at once, it, it demand dries up because it has a, it's called oligopsony, it has a very few clients, but very big clients, and the big clients stop, and all at once you're in dry, in a dry market. You have no revenue. At the same time, embezzlement, and at the same time, some employees sue you for money, and all at once you are attacked from different directions. How did you survive? How did this methodology, if I understand it right, help you survive this incredible onslaught on your company? Well, uh, how did we survive? The first thing that we did is we, we basically called the company and we said, here is the diagnosis of what's going on and here's what we need to do and here's what we need each one of you to do and here are the options that we have. And we came up with a solution uh, that required some of the people to uh, make some big sacrifices. Uh, I worked for a couple of months with no salary and so are some of the employees and the majority of the employees stuck with us. Uh, the, uh, the majority of uh, all the customers did everything that they could to, uh, you know, keep us and stay with us and, and let us go through this uh, 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 process of uh, reorganizing and, and reengineering. And, and it worked. So what helped me in, the, in this turnaround was the understanding of what will it take to communicate with my shareholders, my vendors, my employees, and my management how to establish the change in a way that everyone can live with and we will succeed. This is managing change. Yeah, and, and if I remember from the convention, you were talking about trust, how you went to the bank and you told him, trust me, although they could, they could, have, they could have pressured you and taken you, you know, to the cleaners. Uh, it, basically, the, the, the employees were willing to take 
make sacrifices, the vendors are willing to make sacrifices, the banks are willing to make sacrifices, because you, as I remember from the convention you were telling us, because you established prior to the crisis a trust, and they trusted you. And because they trusted you, they were willing to go with you through the difficulty because they believed you are going to come out of it. Am I right? You are right. And, and let me give you another example that few years later, we all know that in 2008, uh, there was a big shakeout in Michigan. Uh, uh, both GM and Chrysler went through uh, actually bankruptcy. And between GM and Chrysler, uh, there are a big chunk of uh, my company. So I had a similar thing just two years ago. And here's what we have. Uh, we have two customers that are going through bankruptcy. They owe us money. We don't know what's going to happen. And... What do you do now? So here's what I did. I called the customers there prior to bankruptcy, and I said to them, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go and put Soligen on the list of preferred suppliers and basically tell the bankruptcy court that Soligen is something that you need to have, otherwise you can't run your business, which they did. Wow. So they went through bankruptcy, and Soligen was paid to the penny every every invoice that they, owed, they paid it. They paid it on time. The bankruptcy court, during the bankruptcy right, said, you keep these guys alive, and you give them all the projects that you committed to because that's essential to the survival of the company. So is that, how does it work with trust? Because I'm really trying to, I'm fishing here for some, <laughs> some uh, connection to that theory. How does it relate to trust? How did it, how did it happen? What actually happened here? You, um... Well, put yourself, put yourself let, let me explain how it works. You are the vice president of uh, powertrain at GM and comes to you, one of your vendors, and say to you, here is what I need you to do, and you need to make this representation, and I will, I will follow my side of the thing if you do that. And he listens to you, and he says, yeah, I trust this guy. So it was trust, 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 trust. Trust. Trust, back and forth. And how, right. what, what happened with the bank? Because usually banks are very tough. How did you get from the bank to postpone, you know, your, your situation and not pressure you into bankruptcy? Well, one of the things that happened is that whenever, when, way back at 2001, when we got to this point, we initially faced a situation of a cash shortage. I have a, a line of credit. The line of credit are, are, consumed, fully consumed, I need more money, I go to the bank, and I don't have hard collateral. And they say, listen, uh, you are just about to fall. The, 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 you know, with the disclosure of the situation that you have, telling you the, the truth, you know, giving you money is good money after bad money. That's what the banker said. And I said to him, listen, I am telling you, that no matter what happens, I will pay you back every penny that I take from you, even if it means that I need to go and work at McDonald's and give you all my salary. 
and they believe me. Wow, wow, we are back to trust, we are back to trust. They, they believe uh, me, yeah. Uh, Yoram, let's take a break, let's take a break, and now come back, I have more questions to ask for you, because you have a very interesting story to tell. Break! Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The Adesis Management Methodology increases the speed at which organizations are able to implement change and solve their problems. The methodology introduces an innovative process, culture, and system that allow organizations to achieve dramatic growth in both revenue and profits. Build your success from within. Adesis Management Methodology is delivered by the Adesis Institute with offices worldwide. Introducing a new management paradigm. Visit www.adesis.com for the Adesis Institute today. Dr. Ishak Adesis is one of the leading management experts in the world. He has written 14 books that address the challenges facing top management. Books by Dr. Adesis can be found in 24 languages. They can be purchased at the Adesis store at www.adesis.com or on Amazon.com. Electronic versions are now available for three of the books with more to come. These books reflect over 40 years of study in the fields of management and organizational change. Pick up a copy of one of the books for yourself or as a gift today. The Adesis Speakers Bureau can present the Adesis methodology and its approach to harnessing the power of change to your top management team. The presentations, either in person or via a live video hookup, can be delivered in a two-, four-, or six-hour format. Participants can derive immediate benefit from the material and put their new knowledge to use right away. For luncheons, corporate retreats, and strategic planning meetings presented in a variety of languages, visit www.adesis.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. Uh, one of the interesting things you told me when I met with you when we were working together is that you don't want the company to be bigger. You have a ceiling. When you hit the ceiling, then you tell to the marginal clients, go to the, somebody else. You don't want to be bigger. Can you explain this philosophy to the audience? What does it mean you don't want to be bigger? Because it sounds sacrilegious. Everybody wants to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And here you are saying, no, I have a ceiling. I don't want to be bigger. Can you tell us about it? Well, yeah. The, the issue is, again, goes to the definition of who you are. It, it is not what you want to accomplish, but first of all, who you are. We recognized... Uh, and we spoke about the previous uh, uh, segment, that we are not a commodity 
maker. We are a boutique. A boutique is basically a company that tells its customers, you come to me, you pay me more then you pay the competition because the value that I create is different than a commodity value. If you want to do that that way, you should be able to say to any one of your customers, the reason why you come to me is not because you have to, but because you want to. And that means that if your objective is to get competitive uh, bids, with someone who's not exactly me, then ain't gonna work. So you need to be able to say no to to the customers. So I found out that because of the nature of dealing with development projects and and with the experience that we have with the cycles at the at our market, uh, you know, we work with GM, we work with Chrysler, we work with Ford, we work with some of the Europeans one, but they have their own cycles. And, and because of that, we can really manage it by having a company which does not more than maybe five million bucks a year. Because if we try to do more than that, then we have to do two things. We have to take projects that will fill our resources so we cannot respond to the immediate fast turnaround that our customers require. And also, we will have to fill the, the resources with projects that don't really take advantage of the uniqueness that we have. And because of that, they're not very effective. So I realized that the way to run the business here is to optimize the profits and not the revenues. And in order to optimize the profits, I need to be able to look at the market which is bigger than my revenues and choose only the cherries that will give me the profitability that I want. And that is the reason why I decided that, that I do not want to become a commodity maker. The other thing is that, you know, we operate a, a, a manufacturing facility in, in uh, uh, California, and that is becoming more and more mission impossible to do because of the business environment here. So... Even if I wanted to create a commodity maker uh, of engines, there is no way that we can compete with any commodity company anywhere because of the cost here. Uh, what I don't understand is how come you have a competitors? I thought that your technology is, uh, is, is proprietary, and this technology that you can create a new engine in, in, in two weeks or three weeks, do you have a competition with that? I don't have, see the point is not the technology, the point is the service, and the technology is just a tool that enables you to do what, what, uh, what others cannot. Developing new engines has to do not only with how to make the prototypes, but how to deal with the engineering changes at the customer. And here, one of the problems that, that our market has that actually prevents this technology from changing the market environment is that approximately 20 years ago, all the automotive companies decided to outsource the manufacturing to their vendors. So as a result, the designers don't have manufacturing experience and the manufacturers don't have any design experience. I am bridging this, this gap 
and I'm using the technology as a tool to make it work. So a, 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 a big reason why they come to us is not only because we have a tool, but because we enable them to do things that otherwise they cannot do themselves. It is not just the technology. It's the technology and the value added that it creates. So uh, uh, look at a company like General Motors, billions of dollars in, in cars. How many new engines they develop every year? 10, 15? So 15 projects like this, they are not really, really huge. They come in spikes. Each project is a lot, costs a lot of money. We are able to make a cylinder head for GM uh, that GM happily pays uh, more than what you will pay for their luxury car. But because of the rate of change in the design at the customer, you have to make sure that you have the kind of respond to it that gives them the best value that you can. And that requires capacity that, unless you compound it, do not create more than immediate three or four million dollars a year rate of production um, uh, for the company. So what happens is that uh, in, in slow years, we have exactly what we need, three or four or five million bucks. In high years, uh, with hot years, we probably have an op opportunity to, be, to make twice as much or three times as much, but if we grow and then comes a slow year, what do we do then? So we, because of that, with all this experience, I decided that I want to be the boutique that I... I don't have the exposure to change and fluctuation in the market because of slowdown, that when a GM or a, a, a Chrysler uh, goes into trouble and slow and stop down as they did in 2001, I don't die. And at the same time, that when they are hot, I'm able to cherry pick what I need to cherry pick and do it in the highest profit margin that I can. Okay. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. This uh, takes a lot of self-discipline. Hey, Yoram, what do you think was the main contribution of Adidas to your philosophy of management? Is there anything you can point or something came to you by osmosis and you cannot even identify it? Well, I, I am, I, I, I told you privately a couple of times that, that uh, the, and I, I am glad to repeat that, I think that what you have done, your method, methodology is brilliant because it simply describes methodically the rules of the universe. And the problem that we have is that we all ignore some of them. Uh, you know, in a different conversation, you one time you said, you know, it's really simple. If you eat right and you exercise and you do whatever you think, then you're slim and happy and healthy, right? But what do we do? We eat too much and we don't exercise, and then we're surprised why we have overweight issues. The same thing is in management. Uh, the, the, the principles that I meticulously uh, uh, um, took from your methodology starts with one Define the objective. It is not just the what, it's the what, 
and the why and the when and the how. First of all, and don't let yourself say, oh, forget about the how, we'll do it later, or forget about the what, we'll do it later. Once you define that all these components and you clearly, and it's all in the definition, how many times we have arguments when you say, okay, here is what I'm trying to accomplish, and I say to you, I'm not really understanding what you're saying. Uh, part of it is because maybe the difference in personalities, but the other thing is that the definition is not clear to me. So one thing that this methodology highlights is the need to, first of all, understand what you're doing. Make a plan. Make a plan. And then execute the plan, understanding the resources that you have and not ignoring what you don't have. And if, you're some, if something that you have is missing, Bring it up and don't hope that it will come by itself. Excellent. You know, this is, a, this is a called conscious management, managing consciously, being aware of what you do, why you do it, and why you don't do it, and what are the repercussions of what you do. Yoram, uh, let's take a break. We have to take a break for the last segment. One break now. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Learn about applying the ADESIS methodology in your organization's decision-making process. Our comprehensive training programs include a three-day introduction to the ADESIS methodology, Breakthrough to Prime, and Leading Highly Effective Teams, a detailed seven-day seminar. The seminars are valuable for corporate leaders, key executives, and others involved in the decision-making process. Our trainings are available around the world and in multiple languages. For more information about these and other training programs available, please visit adesis.com. TopLeaf is a turnkey management development curriculum that consists of a set of 20 to 30-minute videos presented by Dr. Ishak Adesis, creator of the methodology and founder of the Adesis Institute. The Adesis methodology is considered by many to be a solid foundation for all organizational development. The TopLeaf curriculum is made up of three programs. TopLeaf can be used by individuals, by organizations, and by trainers and consultants looking for new content to offer their clients. For more information about TopLeaf, visit www.adesis.com. Join the Adesis Graduate School for online master's and Ph.D. programs. Get involved with in-depth research into how change can be managed on many levels across disciplines and cultures worldwide. The clinical programs train practitioners with methods that have been used with exceptional results by certified Adesis associates and clients for decades. Core concepts include the proven Adesis theory and spiral dynamics, an emerging theory of human social evolution. For more information, go to adesisgraduateschool.org. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula 
at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. We are talking to Yehoram Uziel, the president and CEO of Soligen, a company into the high tech of die casting and developing of new engines uh, with a new technology and about his success and the reasons for his success and how he overcame a very difficult situation when he almost went bankrupt. Yehoram, have you ever made any mistake in your management? What was the major mistake you made without much details, but at least tell us what was the major mistake and what did you learn from it? The, yes, I did. Anyone who will tell you or will not needs to be questioned. The biggest mistake that I made was the ignoring the fact that you, when you expect something, you need to inspect it. I have made a number of mistakes specifically with people whereby I expected them to do one thing, maybe not even defined what I expect them to do, and then either did not inspect or, worse than that, inspected and ignored what I saw in this inspection. Wow. Yeah. What happens in a company, in my book, I say, is not what's expected, but what's inspected. And typical entrepreneurial people like you, you have an entrepreneurial style, do not like to inspect. Kind of the, the follow-up is a, is a burden. They like to expect. They have the vision. They have the direction. They have the horizon. And then they expect it to happen without inspecting it, which is a major mistake. How they get into trouble. Uh, you know, one, one thing that I want to interject here. You know, uh, one of the key issues in, in your books, which I completely subscribe to is the concept of mutual trust and respect. And what I find that it, it's an easier said than done. Uh, when we train people for mutual trust and respect, uh, we tell them, listen, uh, we want to listen to you, we want to trust you, we want to respect your opinion. And sometimes uh, it turns as a presumed conflict with the need to inspect and really have a conversation on the results of these inspections. And I think that that's part of the, the thing that I failed. I spent a lot of time coming to Santa Barbara with my management, telling them that I really trust them, that I want to listen to them, that I respect them. And then I either was negligent in defining to them exactly what needs to be done or uh, definitely inspecting and verifying with them that whatever they understood from what I described was done or was not done. You know something? You're making me an opportunity here to give a little lecture about trust. Trust is, does not mean abdication. Oh, I trust you. Do whatever you do. I trust you. You're going to do very well. That is abdication. That is not trust. In a Disney methodology, trust means we share interests. That's what it really means, sharing of interest. We are in the same boat. Your pain is my pain. Your benefit is my benefit. That is, we are together. That is what I mean by trust. There should be no incompatibility between inspection and trust. I trust you because we share common interests. 
but I'm going to inspect what you're doing to be sure that you're implementing what was agreed and not maybe deviating from it, which is going to hurt both of us. So there is no conflict between the two. There is a conflict between the two when trust is interpreted as abdication. I trust you, do whatever you want to do, and it's okay with me. This is abdication. This is not trust. Amen. That's exactly what I meant, and amen. And and I can tell you that this is something that I have not done well enough, and I'm working very hard to improve on. Did you have uh, any big disappointment with any of your employees, and why? Why what what happened, and how what did you learn from it? Well, I had uh, we spoke about this embezzlement that we had in the past, and unfortunately, I had another one that I'm not so sure that I want to. Uh, 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 keep here in the air. I'll tell you sometimes privately. But uh, uh, we had an accountant that was sick. And the reason why we kept him in the company is because we knew that although he's not performing very well, if we let him go, he will never find another job anywhere. So we said, okay, um, you know, you have been with us for some time and you are sick and we're not going to uh, you know, betray you or throw you away or, or whatever. And this guy uh, took advantage of the fact that we allowed him to do things without proper inspection because he was allegedly sick and stole money from us. Um, so is it disappointment? Yes. I, did I sue him? No, I did not. I was just disappointed that he did what he did and said, you know, I don't need people like that in my life anymore. I don't think that... Uh, that uh, uh, it is my role to uh, prosecute or punish anyone. It is God's role. I All what I want to do is believe that people are right, give them the opportunity to be right, and hopefully inspect early enough when they're wrong to minimize the damage if they're wrong. But uh, uh, it is really, really uh, uh, difficult to fight the, the normal uh, uh, impression that if someone stole something from you, any one of your other employees is a presumed thief. It's not. It is difficult to trust because you want to, as you said, believe that we share the same interests. And, and sometimes you find out that it's not. Excellent. Excellent. Yoram, uh, where are you going from here? Well, you know, we are, we are uh, uh, actually living our, our uh, uh, dream. Uh, the company is doing really well. Uh, and, uh, and I can tell you that despite the ups and downs and the tremors in the market, and they are, and, and we're now, these weeks, we're seeing another little change in the market, but we're riding it well, and, uh, and that means that we will be able to keep the jobs of all the employees here and, 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 and uh, provide the value to our customers and retain the customers through their hard time. You know, overall, I, I, I can't complain. There are certain things that uh, that we have to do right now, you know, in tweaking inside the company because some of the procedures that we had maybe got a little bit stale, and we need to make sure that we return to prime as much as we can, uh, and we're working on that. So we have a constant dialogue amongst the company here. What do we need to do different and, uh, in order not to be sleeping on the job and finding out that we need to make a big correction uh, because we 
fail to do the little corrections. Absolutely great. Uh, Yoram, you are one of the few people that have reacts to my blogs in a detail and, and, and religiously uh, week after week, year after year. What are you getting out of the blog? Because you are the most uh, loyal uh, reader of my blogs. Ichak, reading your blog is like talking to you, which I miss so much, and this is exercise to my brain. It, it's exactly as I play tennis every morning, uh, despite the fact that, uh, that, you know, I could do other things. In, in dealing with the, with the issues that you bring up in, in the blog, I get to remind myself the basics of everything from what is democracy and what is the, the, what would I do had I been you talking to Medvedev the other day? Uh, in, in, and I go back and criticize everything that I see to the positive and to the negative based on my understanding of the rules of the universe, which is uh, what you wrote in your early books. So uh, when you see my, my reaction to your, to your uh, posting on the blog, I always go back to the definition. And what do we really need to do? What's the objective? And, and wh where is the why and where and when and how? And this exercise keeps me the same way that, you know, I've been doing mediations for like more than 10 years in, a, in an amazing success. And people ask me, why do you do that? I said, because it honed my skills. It reminds me every day that you can't really be a judge if you want to be a mediator, you get to the two parties that have a dispute, you have to get them to agree on a solution, not decide what the solution for them. And this is the ultimate kind of management. You don't force anyone to do anything. My, my uh, 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 religion in selling saying, you have to make your customer to want to do business with you, not to have to buy anything from you. The same thing is here. Mediation, you want to have people want to settle. You have, that's their interest. Going to the basic fundamental, the trust is sharing of interest. So if I can get my employees to trust me, that means that I always need to remind them that they are sharing the same interest that we do. Sometimes it's not obvious. The same thing is... Okay. is the discussion uh, with you and your blog. Stop I, stopped, I have to stop it because we are running out of time. Yoram, I can talk to you for hours. You are the most interesting, exciting person I've known, and I really appreciate you giving me an hour of your time. And I look forward to seeing you soon, my friend. Right now, I'm more time in, in Russia and right now in Israel, but the time will come and we'll get together. All the best, and thank you very, very, very much. Thank you, my friend, and keep on doing the right things. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us this week for Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Please tune in again next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy your weekend and a successful week.